Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the best new host and podcast show, the Con Demands Answers Show, live every week. Please, if you guys do want to support the show, go ahead and subscribe to me on your favorite streaming platform. Doesn't matter if it's iTunes, Spotify, or whatever you use to check out the Con Demands Answers Show, please remember to subscribe. Today we got episode 55 with Jack Wold. He is a college baseball player for the UNLV Rebels. Take a listen. All right, welcome back, everybody. Ooh, I'm going to turn off my Wi-Fi to start. Make sure that everything's going well. Do not disturb. Okay, now, welcome back, everybody. Uh, episode 55, crazy that we're here. But, you know, let's just introduce our guest, Jack Wold. What's up, man? How you been? How you doing? Just introduce yourself, who you are, things like that. Uh, doing well, man. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Jack Wold, play baseball at UNLV. Went to basic high school with Colin. Yeah, man. So, all right, so you're... We were just talking about this. Let's get into this a little bit. The weirdness around injuries and and not only injuries, but COVID. So for – I can't even think what it's called. It's not availability. Um, here's your – Eligibility. That's what I was thinking. So te- you were saying you're like a COVID junior. And so I'll just start with my own personal uh, – like bias i guess to this because i'm a, technically a sophomore and i'm gonna be a senior next year so i got injured my sophomore year fall season i tore my labor in my hip so i was out so i got that medical red shirt because i played my freshman year and then junior year we didn't play at all except for these two spring games which don't count so technically i am a sophomore going into next year and you were saying something similar right right yeah i'm a I'm like a COVID junior in baseball, but a, like, I mean, not even a senior in school because I don't even graduate until the fall because you know how weird it gets switching majors and all that stuff. You can like fall behind pretty quick. But I mean, we've, there's plenty of stories. We had a guy this year who was like a fourth year freshman because he was injured uh, for two years and then the COVID year hit and he was still had four years of eligibility and he was like a senior in school. It was wild. It's crazy how all this stuff can work and how the years can pile up on you pretty quick. No. And some of the stories that I'd be hearing a lot too, or actually from my school, I see is like, there's a bunch of guys who are like um, older, maybe they're 24, 25 who didn't go straight to college or maybe they went to college and they played and then they went to the military or they, or they um, just didn't play football and they didn't go to school. And so they have all their years back and there's these 25 year olds playing college football with three years of eligibility left. Is it the same with baseball or is it like almost, strictly especially at your level that it's people that are 18 19 20 21 i mean it's it's mostly it's pretty common for people to be like 18 19 20 21 years old you know but like i said it's like it's the same eligibility rules apply like i'm pretty sure to most sports because um you know these guys they take two years off they quit or something and then they're like they were like oh i want to play again and they're like two three years ahead maybe but I do think that baseball is definitely one of those sports where it's it's pretty difficult to like if you're out of the game for a couple of years it's hard to just jump back in and resume where you were. And I think pretty much most sports are like that because you know you don't get the experience and stuff like that that you would like in game. Like you miss 2 years of playing football games and then all of a sudden you're supposed to just jump in and be the same player you were when you're left if not when you left if not better it's pretty hard to do. Well, that's the the main thing that I was seeing, especially with COVID, just shutting down the ability to play um, well, basically all sports, but mainly primi- primarily these very violent, fast sports like football is 
the amount of injuries that can happen coming back. You know, you don't play football. You don't, your bodies aren't used to playing football. Obviously my position's a little different, but everybody else, you, you don't play those. You don't get the hit for a year over a year. You know, you can't really just jump back into the, that violent speed of collision that football brings. And to what you're saying about baseball or even any sports, it's like, that's something that I saw COVID did shutting down people's even ability to practice. It, it kind of limited people's ability to play at the level that they want to, you know, even at the professional level, I know Chris Paul's documentary just came out uh, the day sports stood still. I haven't watched it yet, but it was like a year ago today, nothing was happening. We were all locked up. It, it, you know, think that like, finally sports are coming back and it seems that we're going to see some normalcy here now that the vaccine's coming out, but it, 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 is wild that especially with football and these violent sports that they just stopped us and stopped everyone and then just expected everyone to jump back in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's super wild. I think a lot of, a lot of injuries for every sport can come out because like a lot of the stuff we do is unnatural. It's these people, like we train our bodies day in, day out to do these unnatural things that, you know, normal people aren't able to do. And then, our bodies become like, I think there, I read somewhere and every, I think a lot of people know this stuff, but it's like talks about, you know, uh, depression and body and like stuff in like bodies of athletes after they've done playing. But I guess like the first 10 years when you finish playing your sport, like your body ages double. So like if you finish playing when you're 40, by the time you're 50, your body's going to be like 60. So it's like, it's super strange to like calculate that stuff in your head, obviously, but when you think about it, if these guys have been for the last 30 years or 25 years, they start lifting weights at like 14, 15 years old and training their body to do these motions, they start getting to that age where they're like 35, 36, 37. And they're like, their bodies are just destroyed because of how much stuff they've just been doing to it. And even like the stuff people don't really notice, like the amount of caffeine and, and like ibuprofen that some guys are taking just to even get on the field, like um that's there's no way any of that stuff's good for you let alone when you finish playing and then you're supposed to just try and stay healthy and it's just strange it's a strange way you brought up something that i don't think normal people know um is the amount of ibuprofen athletes take so my friend matt who's my roommate he plays outside he plays outside linebacker he he finishes like two full large bottles of ibuprofen in a season and he's probably taking i don't know anywhere from a thousand to 1800 ibuprofen uh, milligrams a day. And he's a bigger guy, so you can take it, but it's like the amount, like, cause those are blood thinners, you know? And so to imagine like, and also on top of it, like just to play football, you have to be able to bang you have to be able to hit. And so just to like, think that like they're taking those. So they feel numb, like the ag- agitation and aggravation of already happened to injuries, like, just skyrockets to the top. And so for baseball too, I always attribute to what I do, especially with like kickoffs and punts because they're so unnatural to pitching because it's like, you can't do it every day and it's so bad for you. It's one of the worst things for the body is just to throw your body at something. And that's kind of what I've seen. I've, I've never really played baseball. But that's kind of what I've really seen with pitching and especially what I've seen with like kickoffs. Cause it's just like, there's these two positions in, in a sport that's kind of very different than everything else. And they just throw their bodies and make to make this ball flight millions of miles, you know, through the earth so it's just it's crazy how like you said it's crazy how bad it is for you like the sports we do and the movements we do but also how like much like ibuprofen tylenol like these athletes take just so they could be okay to play you know 
Yeah, and these guys, I mean, I'm I'm one of them. These guys got it down to the science. These guys are like, all right, because when we play, we play these double headers. Like I said, we play Air Force twice tomorrow. And we start at 11.05, and then the doubleheader's 30 minutes. The second game's 30 minutes after the first one. But we get there at, like, 7.30 in the morning for an 11.05 start and just start doing, like, BP, you know, a little bit of, like, optional weightlifting, stretching, stuff like that, just to get your body loose. But, you know, these guys got it down to science. I'm taking two ibuprofen before BP, you know, two at game time, and then – maybe that'll be enough to carry over for like the rest of the day. And then the next day, Sunday morning is a quick turnaround for another 1105 start after playing two games the day before. And you're like, you almost like feel like you can't, you can't do it unless you have that stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. And so I just have a question about baseball for you. I never really understood like, cause I have a bunch of friends up at my school who play baseball. It's like the double headers, why you guys do that, especially with the same, team like what's the like rationale about playing the same team or playing a team right after like 30 minutes after in baseball so right now we're um we're usually like a 58 game season and right now we only have like 33 games scheduled because of you know covid but there's um there's usually for conference a certain amount of games played i'm sure it's the same every conference every sport like there's a conference winner, championship, tournament, whatever. Like, but we have to play a certain amount of conference games, and we usually would play three a weekend. So we play Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday midday, and then the other team would travel, or like we would travel after that game. So there's three starters for the pitchers, and then the bullpen takes over after that. But now with COVID, they wanted us to to travel less and trying to save a little bit of money too, like hotel rooms and stuff. So we'll play two games on like Saturday to emulate the Friday and Saturday games and then one Sunday, but it's just to get more games in. Cause like, you know, it's pretty hard on guys' bodies. Like obviously the starting pitcher can only go one game a week, but the position players, like we're out there for 18 straight innings and then nine more innings the next day. And it's like, it's definitely not as strenuous on your body. Um, as other sports, like you can't, you can't play back to back three football games in a weekend. Like it's just not possible. It's not, it's not as strenuous for sure, but it's just like, that's why it's just more of like a ticky tacky, like craft that baseball is. And people are, they have their own roles and there's, you know, like you've seen the pictures, there's Aaron judge and Jose Altuve next to each other. And one of them's five, six and the other one's six, seven or something like that. Six, eight. So it's like, it's just a game that you can play in so many different ways, but, it doesn't really take the biggest toll on your body, but there's definitely those little things that will destroy you. So what I have seen, like especially with my friends up in, up in Oregon who play baseball is it seems like balancing baseball, like especially in season and school is very hard because of that fact that you guys usually play Friday, Saturdays and Sundays. And so when you're traveling, you never really have time to do like, say you have three essays do ones do Tuesday, ones do Mondays, ones do Thursday the next week you guys really never have time because you're always traveling or you're always playing a game what is it like like being playing baseball and having all those games back to back to back especially on weekends especially when you're trying to balance like being an um a student as well you know it's pretty like it's pretty it's pretty annoying sometimes um there's a I, I mean I, for, I forgot what interview it was it was a it was college football player big big name guy 
I'm pretty sure he got drafted, but he was just like, they're like talking about him getting suspended for not doing, not going to class or something. And he's like, and it's, it sucks because like you always want to put the best, like best image out of you as an athlete. But it's like, he said, he's like, I didn't come here to play school. Like, you know that, but again, I understand like I'm here to get my degree and like Monday through Friday. Yeah. Like I'm getting my degree, but you know, Saturday and Sunday, like from when I go to sleep Friday night to when I go to sleep Sunday night, the only thing that I'm thinking about is baseball. And like everybody has their pregame routine. Some guys have songs, workouts, uh, shows, movies, whatever, like books they read. Everybody has like their thing. And, you know, Friday night and then sun- Saturday morning and Sunday morning, it's like I'm not thinking of what's going on in my econ class on Tuesday. Like I just can't think about that because I won't be able to perform. But then, you know, I wake up Monday morning and I'm just a student at UNLV. Like I've practiced that day, but now I have to get all my work done because I have three days this weekend, including travel that I'm not going to be able to do anything. Yeah, dude, I feel that same way. Um, and so what I had forgotten for a while, cause I hadn't played in a while is there's just a certain feeling that you get on game days that you can't get with any other thing. Unless like you're say you have some other hobby that you do that you like, maybe like, I guess chess, you could say maybe it's a sport. I don't know if you like going into competition with something, but uh, like you get this like overwhelming excitement and angst and you're almost like hyper-focused. And like you said, everyone has their things. Maybe it's reading a book, maybe it's listening to music, uh, maybe it's meditating, whatever. But like you, can, you can't recreate those feelings. And I think that's, ex- that's a big thing with football because you see a lot of guys with football, especially at the level I'm at, it's they're just so injury prone. You know, they're great athletes, but they just can't get their bodies behind them. And especially with football, I don't know if it happens with baseball. It's just like you get those guys who they're chasing that feeling so much that they just can't give up that sport. You know, they cannot get rid of um, that chase of that, of that hyper angst, that hyper excitement that you get from the day of competition or the day during competition, or the right after competition, the bliss you get. And, you know, it's something that, it, it, it makes people coaches. It makes people like push, push forward. But like just to wake up next day, this is the one thing I've seen with being a student athlete to wake up on that Sunday, um, right after game day on Saturday, if you have a game in the nighttime, you're like, man, I got to be a student again. You know, it's like almost trying to flip flop your lives from being like a student and then an athlete. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a drug. It's like people are addicted to it. You wake up, Saturday morning on game day, Sunday morning on game day. And the only thing that's getting you out of bed, the only thing that's like worth anything to you is what you're about to do. Like the game you're about to enter. It's definitely a drug. and People are addicted to that feeling of success. Success is, is more addicting than anything else. Like you, you get a little taste of the success on the field and that's all you want. That's like the only thing on your mind. And then you have to put that aside on Monday because you got to go to class and you got to do your other stuff. And it's, it's important too, because that drug of success in your sport isn't going to last forever. It's not going to last as long as you think it will. And the game will chew you up, spit you out and humble you real quick. But um, so that's why it's important to balance those things, but it's definitely hard because people get addicted to that, that feeling. Yeah. So you personally, how would you describe the feeling you get, or the feeling everyone gets, especially in baseball, when maybe it's um, – I don't really know when you, how, how to call it because I'm not really that 
prone to baseball buzz. I guess let's say it's like a really close game at the end, um, one of the last innings, and you know you're just like right there, hyper focused, and you got to switch from offense to defense. You know what are those feelings you're getting in those moments, and how do you prepare yourself for those moments? Um, I think, I think a lot of people will will say like it's a lot to do with some complacency, but like there's a difference between complacency and like composure. It's definitely you train to have composure and like confidence in your preparation. And um, like there'll be huge, huge situations. I mean, World Series games on TV, anything like that. And like you see these guys and they're just like laser focused. They, they don't show a single sign of emotion on their face. Like it's just not, it's weird. It's crazy. But I think, I think I try to think about that. It's just, I think I try and think about the times that I've failed for sure. Um, that overwhelming anger that just consumes you when you didn't get the job done. Like it's, it's your fault or you failed. It's like, that's like, you got to hate failing more than you like to win. Like it's, it's the truth. Cause you know, that next time you step up in that situation, you're going up to bat and the winning run is on second base and, and it's it's all in your hands. You got to think about the last time it, that you d- were in that situation and you failed. You got to think, all right, like I don't want that again. It's me versus this guy. Like who's who's gonna fail here? And you just don't want it to be you. Yes, yeah, I was watching a clip of Shannon Sharp the other day, maybe like a week or two ago, and he was like. He hated when he was like playing football. He said he hated the feeling of losing more than he liked the feeling of winning, and that's why he want like that's why he drove to the success level that he was at because he hated the feeling of losing losing so much. And you know that's that's a testament to like what humans are just in general. It's like you know a lot of us, especially like we not that we're so afraid of failing, but we hate it so much, and that's what drives people to be so extremely successful and and generate immense amounts of wealth, you know, and that's a testament to why we like sports so much because it's like almost like it's this realm, especially on TV. That's why we're fans is like, you're watching something that you know pretty well. Maybe you weren't the greatest at it, or that's why you're not playing professional, or maybe you were great and you just didn't make it to that level, but you're watching something to where there's these people who are the best in the world especially with American sports playing something to where you never really know the results. And that's why we get so pissed off when we hear like deflate gate and that games might be rigged because the reason we really watch sports, one of the reasons is because like, we love that, that the test into the unknown and seeing something, we have no idea what's going to happen. We can hope for something. But we have no idea what's going to happen on the back end. Right. It's there's a, that's why it's like, you know, there's other ways to prove that feeling exists because there's, there's sports betting, there's sports betting and there's people who are making predictions and stuff like that. And, um, they're trying to predict what's going to happen, but there's no possible way to do it. There's just no possible way to even like, like, yeah, like there's like deja vu and stuff in certain games, but you know, each day, each game is a new opportunity. And like I said, if you're, if you're sitting on the couch watching these guys play pro, and you're like, you just see something. You got somebody makes a pitch and you're like, like, wow, like that was that was incredible. Like I've never seen that before. Or something will happen and it's just like it's something new all the time. It's, it's pretty crazy how that works. So I'll give you my favorite sports moment in the last decade and then you give me yours. Mine is, um, this is a lot of people's, but 
just from me watching it, the block on Iguodala that LeBron had in Game 7 for them to come back from the 3-1 and win, I can just remember sitting there. Or I'll throw another one out there, too, because I'm a Vikings fan. The Minnesota Miracle. Um, both of those moments, I was standing in front of the TV, just hyper-focused. Like, nothing in the world mattered more than, like, me watching the games. And it, that's a cool thing about being a fan, too is that you can almost get that feeling of playing from your favorite sports team, or maybe you know a player, or maybe you have a favorite player, but you can almost, you can't have the same feeling because you're not playing, but you can almost generate that angst and that excitement, you know? But yeah, give me your favorite sports moment or two sports moments in the last decade. I don't even, I think, I can't remember like a specific, like, I mean, I definitely can, because like there's definitely been, um, like games that I got pretty invested into and I was like, this is like incredible what's going on. But I think one thing that like really stands out to me, especially because I was a Yankee fan, but like watching Derek Jeter's last game, like when Derek Jeter's last game, he came up and like we were just talking about that clutch situation and this guy's in, t- like he was, he's known as the captain you know, the most, like, the clutch guy, the Derek Jeter. Like, his name has, like, a, a carry to it. And he comes up in, you know, a walk-off situation in his last home game in Yankee Stadium of his entire career. And, like, he just does what he does. He, like, it's incredible. But I remember, like, watching it and being, like, this is just, it's poetic. Like, I'm like, this is going to happen. Like, there's no way he doesn't get the job done here. It's, like, not even possible because it's just like sports are like that they're poetic and they're it's it's beautiful like with the stories that sports can tell and yeah i just remember watching that game and watching him hit that walk off being like like that's why like that's why this guy is incredible and feeling like that like that want to be like somebody like him like it's just like i, I can't you can't even explain it it wasn't even you it wasn't even a guy you know like you just know of him and i was like this like that's literally one of the most incredible things i've ever seen i think a lot of what that is, is that, you know, when you said it's not even you, but you like feel through it is because like the best things, especially with sports, let's keep it in that area are people just like us. You know, they're not these magical human beings. Now some of them are on steroids and they get caught and that gives them a little edge, but I mean, they're still people, you know, people are flawed. And that's the coolest part is that, you know, these imperfect things that we are like everyone, just like us, somebody that's just like this, that was a baby one point and will die one day is doing this almost magical thing that, you know, usually you can't do, or you once you can't do anymore. You weren't ever, able to make it there but one of those moments that you said the last game kobe for me watching kobe's last oh my god yeah it's it's it it was unbelievable because it's like he had to do that you know yeah he had to it's kobe being right and you're just watching it and you're and you're sitting there and you're like he's gonna have 60 and you say that but it's like watching it actually happen this this old hurt who wore out his body kobe Bryant, just come out and just excuse my French, put the dick down on the jazz. It's just, it, it's poetic, you know? Yeah, no, it really is. It's incredible. But what you said about like these athletes being like people too, like I think I think people forget about that all the time. They forget that stuff more than, I mean, I don't even know. I can't reference anything to that, but they like, 
I remember um, one of my buddies I played with back at UNLV, Bryson Stott, was staying with Bryce Harper during like spring training. And they were driving to the field or something like that. And Bryce Harper like was in full uniform. He was like, oh, crap, like I'm, I'm out of gas. And he stops at the gas station, full Phillies uniform, you know, a, a prominent name in Major League Baseball. And he's pumping his gas tank. And he's like, and Bryce takes a picture of it. And everybody's loving it because they're like, okay, like you can see like these people do the same thing we do. They're people. And then, but they get onto that field and they're like, they're no longer people. They're just, they're, like, I don't even know. Like you can't even explain it. They're like heroes to some people. That's it's like that with all celebrities. And it's, that's why you see like when something major happens, there's something like usually bad to where like, maybe there's an affair, or, like someone, you know, someone did something bad, like a celebrity, something bad, an athlete did something bad. Um, they get in a fight at a club or something, or James Harden was clubbing during COVID. Yeah. Um, it's why you see people blow up because they hold them to, they put them on this pedestal pedestal and they think they're these like gods, you know, among men. And to an extent they are, you know, because of the success they've granted, but they're still people and they still yeah. do dumb stuff. And especially like, this is my whole thing with like, kids our age you know but like the real like johnny manzel when he was in college you know to like get, grant someone that much success because of the a gift they have at such a young age you're handing you're handing someone the ability to ruin their lives really you know and some people mm -hmm. handle it perfectly lebron handled it very well at 18 that success he's handled it perfectly his whole life but some people just can't. They just fold in the pressure. They want to party like a kid. They want to, they want to meet girls. They want to hook up with girls like a kid. You know. I remember seeing something about Sam Darnold got mono from making out. He's like, yeah, he's like twenty two years old. Of course, he was out hooking up with chicks. Like that's what they do. Yeah. You know? They're people. Yeah. And so I think what you're saying about people like holding these athletes and celebrities to another level, and then and then like almost cutting them down when they fail. It's like it's that forgetfulness so that there's still people everyone's the same. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, especially it's hard. I can see how much harder it is in like a football locker room too, because there's, there's a hundred guys in there and one guy might be like, I mean, like you're going to be honest. I can be honest. Um, like that team that Johnny Menzel was on in, in college, like I couldn't tell you 80, 95, 98, other players on that team and those guys don't get the the tv time the media presence that he did so then he's got to sit in the locker room and listen to all these stories about what these guys are doing every weekend and it's like every athlete has to deal with this you know you got to hear like oh like these guys went to a club and did some something crazy or these guys are doing something wild every weekend and like then you got to think like you know if i got caught like would I be in as much trouble as they are or like more like obviously Johnny, like these, those, these guys could get in a fight at a club and you know, the bench guys aren't going to get the media time. Nobody's going to care that they got in a fight at the club. It's only the guys who are like elite. Yeah. Two things to that too. When it is the bench guys and only the bench guys, it's always the, the way to catch the media catches. The attention is, Let's say, let's talk about Texas A&M. Texas A&M football players get in fights. They don't say their names. But mm -hmm. when it is the star, it's always like Johnny Manziel smokes weed at a club or something, you know? It's, yeah. it's because of that level you were saying. And I didn't even think about that, about the, you know, the guys who are the leaders of that team have to hold themselves even higher to a standard than the other guys. And 
it made me think about the draft last night watching, you know, even on commercial breaks, there was 15 guys who were drafted and they were only showing the three quarterbacks and yeah. one of them, and one of them hadn't even been drafted yet. And they kept showing him in his room. I'm like, I'm in his, in his, um, like backstage in his little, uh, waiting room. And I'm like, dude, this guy hasn't even been drafted yet. And you're only showing him. Like they didn't say nothing about Jamar chase. They didn't say anything about Devonte Smith unless they in their specific moment of getting drafted. But when it was like just during in between, they kept showing Mac Jones. And I'm like, dude, he hasn't even been drafted yet. It was fascinating. And it's because of that, the quarterback being that guy almost it's like, they're yeah. the stars. They're the attention grabbers. Is it like that with pitchers in baseball or a different position? I think, well, the thing about like baseball too is like when a pitcher, especially at the big league level, not real. I can speak for more of the college level. So like when you're starting, like your, your dude, your guy, your Friday night arm is what they call him. He's like your best pitcher. He starts game one of the weekend series because game one is must win. You have to win the, you can't win the series without, or you can't like sweep a team without winning the first game. And so your guy, your starting pitcher, um, goes five innings Friday night, first game. Now, yeah, he could be like the face of the program because he's lights out, he's dominant. But, you know, then there's eight other guys on the field who are out there for the rest of the weekend. So that's why, like, it's it's kind of different. Like, there could, the star of the field could be any anywhere. He could be at any position. And the hero of the game could be at any moment. It could be any guy. It could be a guy off the bench. There could be – you could have won – you could be at one and one in the series, so one win, one loss, and then you're in game three, and one guy who hasn't played the entire weekend, and they put him into pinch hit in the bottom of the ninth inning in the last game of the series, and he hits a home run to win the series. He is the hero. He's the guy. Everybody remembers that one guy. He didn't play at all that weekend besides that one at bat, but he came through. Like That's why I think baseball's another, like, it's so beautiful in that sense because there's you just never know what's going to happen. You know, if you're struggling early in this, it's like a common phrase, common way to pick somebody up. You're struggling early in the game, early. As I'm sure this is the way in football too. You mess something up, you you cost your team something, and then somebody goes like, "Hey, like you're gonna you're gonna come up big here, like you're due. It's gonna happen." So like, you just never know with baseball. But yeah, like the center of attention thing is definitely pretty interesting. But um, it's usually like it's hard to pick out the star player. You know, not every team has a Mike Trout. A uh, face of the program, like hands down, great best player in baseball consistently the last eleven years. Like, not every team has that, so it's it's pretty it's pretty different in baseball. It's it's not the same as other sports because yeah, like there's those guys who are just this the guy every game, but it's, it it runs pretty similar, I guess. Our, um, I don't know enough about college baseball to to make a judgment. Is UNLV like predominantly like really good? We've had we've had some some rough years in the past. You know, I think we were pretty bad last year, honestly. Like, and if you can't admit that, then you're not going to get any better. But I think I think we sucked a little bit last year. But this year, like, I, I wish I don't have the picture on hand. Like, it's it's in my phone somewhere. Um, but we are, we are like in the top fifty, I think, in like nine hitting categories. And um, we're like in third place in the walks allowed per game for our pitching staff. So um, we're nine and six in conference right now. We've only won or lost one game outside of conference. We beat ASU and 
split with Washington. And like, it's, it's pretty, um, I think we're a lot better this year. We got a pretty stacked lineup and, you know, it sucks with COVID because we're, we're definitely in a spot to win the, the conference and go to a regional, which would be the first regional we've gone to since 2014. Wow. But, um, like I said, baseball is one of those sports where like anybody can win. Mm-hmm. You can, there's, there's like, if you get a chance, there's, there's, like times where like double a teams or like major league teams have played like, like division two colleges and lost because like, it's just such a strange game that anything can happen. It's crazy. That is crazy. So a question I have for you just on a personal level, what is it like going from a national championship high school team? And then just playing for like, like, I mean, playing for your hometown, but like just translating to college, you know, and, trying to make that next step with your team, but not being right on the, like the best team when you start out. It's, it's, it's kind of hard. Cause like when we were in high school, there's like that, it was such a team mentality that, and like our coaches almost brainwashed us. They almost brainwashed us to think that we were the greatest players to ever walk the earth. And like, and it carried over, like it made us play better because we were that confident. And then you get to college and like, just the game of baseball just punches you in the face because these guys are so good. Like these, these players on your team. Like I remember I was like in the heart of the lineup, like one of the better hitters in our high school team. And then I get to college and I was like the last hitter in the lineup. And I was like my freshman year. And I was like, dude, these good. And like, I played with um, our leadoff hitter was Kyle Isbell. He's, he's currently playing for the Royals right now. And our two hole, his name was Dylan Johnson. He was like one of the me and him are like the two guys in that lineup who didn't get drafted yet. And the three hole Bryson Stott drafted 14th overall. And then we had like Nick Rodriguez got drafted in like the 22nd round. Our Friday set or Friday and Sunday pitchers were both drafted. Like that team was unreal. And it's just like it's just, you get there and you get humbled. You like, you think I thought I was the greatest. I thought I was going to walk in and be the guy. And it's just, it's not like that. It's just, there's so much better than you thought. And you had no idea. Yeah. And okay. So for baseball too, just a clarification, it's not like basketball or football draft wise. Like you don't have to put your name in and then you're not allowed to play college. If you advance to the draft or not, even if you're drafted, if you place your name in the draft, you're not allowed to play uh, college again baseball like you can just be drafted without playing your name right and then you can either stay in college or go play or like how does it work with the baseball draft yeah you just kind of you you just play you just play and then these guys reach out to you if they like you and if they don't like you then you're not going to get picked but they if if the teams deem you like they want to invest in you and think that you can make an impact in their in their business um then they'll pick you. And it's, it's strange like that because there's, there's ways if you go to, um, if you go to a a four year school, like UNLV, you can't get drafted until your third year or you're 21, like whatever the rules are. But if you go to a JUCO, you can get drafted after high school, after your first year of JUCO, after your second year of JUCO, and then at your third year of your four year school. And then after your fourth year of your four year school. So like there's ways you can get draft, be draft eligible every year, but it's not very common. Like, like that people get drafted more than once, you know? So it's strange. Yeah. You, you don't put your name in. Like I don't enter the draft. 
I just finish my season and then if they call, they call. And if they don't, they don't. I'm, I go back for the next one. So what is that like knowing that like, cause it seems like that's a wild thing to think. Cause you, uh, like for football, you grind, grind. And if you're a stud junior, you enter the draft or you're a stud senior, like, or maybe you're not even a stud senior, but you have, maybe you have an opportunity to be drafted. You place your name in the draft and then you go from there. But baseball, it seems that like, you know, well, since you went to UNLV, it's now you're a senior, you were a junior. What is it like playing your entire season in the back of your mind, knowing that like everything I'm doing right now or every game I play might have a result at that draft at the end of the year, you know? It's it's pretty hard. It's hard to not let it weigh on you because you get you get that phone call from a scout and he's like, Hey, like how you doing? They're doing personality assessments, stuff like that. And you're like like man like maybe this guy likes me and whatnot like like thinking about it and then that year goes by like last i think last year was my first year i was draft eligible and the draft got moved from 40 rounds to five rounds so like it was a dramatic decrease in picks but i remember like getting calls getting calls getting calls and talking to these guys and like that's the thing is it doesn't matter like you could talk to every scout in the country. It doesn't mean they're going to pick you. Like it's never in writing and stuff like that. So it's like, it's pretty hard to let that get to you that if I don't play to a certain caliber, then I'm not going to get picked. And once you start adding that pressure to yourself, it just makes the game that much harder. Mm-hmm. It's already hard enough. And it makes it that much harder when you start to add that pressure. Hey, just a quick little digression shout out ryan for playing on the hillsborough hops hillsborough is literally where i live basically really i live in so i go to school in forest grove which is like so here's portland here's hillsborough or here's beaverton here's hillsborough and then here's forest grove and it's like 10 minutes i'm always in hillsborough so i'd be meaning to go catch a game when well you know what happened but uh shout out ryan for playing on the hillsborough i was gonna hit him up and tell him i was like dude you literally are like 10 minutes from me and Dion. Just Dude, he's playing. He's playing there again this season. Well, I was just wondering about fans and everything, you know, because COVID. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how the fans are going to work, obviously, because that's like stadium to stadium rules, you know. Mm. But they just changed their affiliate. So he's he's still with the Diamondbacks, but he's playing there as a high A affiliate. So, like, there's like five or something levels in minor league baseball. It's disgusting. But – He's like, there's like triple A, double A, and then high A, um, A ball, like short season, low A, short season, high A. There's like a bunch of different levels, but he's playing in like the higher, like two levels higher than what he was last year back in Hillsborough this year. And he was at big league camp for a little bit too. That's awesome. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. This is a good lead in. What the hell is going on with minor league baseball? Like, how does it work? What, it, like, how many levels are there? There's 40 rounds. Like, you don't even, when you get drafted, you, you're not necessarily on the team. You kind of, it's, how does it work? Yeah. They like, so in, I don't know. It's really different now because they dropped like 50 teams or something like that for minor league sports. But it's like, it, it used to be, like I said, triple A, double A, like high A. Um, short short season A ball, rookie ball, and then short season low A. And like usually like it's pretty common where you go, but it really just depends how good you are. But like nobody gets drafted and goes to the team. Like you don't just you don't get picked first rounders. Like you don't get picked and then you're like you're on the Tigers. Like it's just it's not how that works. Like you get picked and then you go into A ball and then like they 
they're like, all right, you're better than Abel, and they shoot you up to double A. And usually the the jump is from like double A to the big leagues. And then if you're not good enough, they send you down to triple A. It's kind of weird how that works. You like skip a level and then come back to like a level higher. It's weird. But yeah, like I said, there's like, there's guys who spend, there was just some guy who debuted. He went to CSN. Um, he was, he played in the big leagues like eight years ago. And then he got sent down and he played like eight years in minor league baseball again. And then back up, he's back up to the big leagues this year. It's, but it's, it's crazy. Like you can, there's people who spend two years in minor league baseball and then go start making millions in major league baseball. And then there's people who spend, you know, 12 years in the minor leagues living on peanuts because they didn't get that big, you know, signing bonus that the first rounders get. But then they make it to the big leagues and they're they're betting on themselves. Like mm-hmm. um, and they do that for 10 years in the minor leagues until they can get their chance, or until the manager calls them in the office and says, Hey, you're not good enough anymore, and sends you home. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you. When has it become with these major league players that they're like, All right, it's time for me to I have to make money for my family, you know? Like when do they give it up? When do they hang up their cleats? I think that's pretty I think it's pretty like different for every situation like if you're like a it depends like if you if you're really really betting on yourself and you only have yourself to support like i could understand why a guy will spend 10 10 years in the minor leagues like but you know there there's also a point where a guy spent like and I, i've been thinking about this a lot too especially like thinking about the draft and signing and all that kind of stuff and it's like you know after a certain time there's guys who get to They've been in the minor leagues for five years. They're 28 years old. They're making $200 every every two weeks as a minor leaguer. Like like I said, peanuts. And, you know, back home, they have a wife and two kids. And it's like, when does it become too much? Like, when does it become, like, when is that last straw broken to where you've given everything to this game and it's just not giving anything to you back? Like, you're just not, you've given all your love, your effort, your your passion and into time into something and it's just kicking you in the face repeatedly like when is it time to hang it up it's i guess it's just different for every guy because some guys can't even take it for a year and then some guys like i said will bet on themselves for eight years and then show up in the big leagues again and like that's the ultimate goal so you know i mean you know nolan and all of them Uh like that's the one thing about kicking in the NFL and long snapping any specialist in football is that there's so like you have a, usually a, a young guy in training camp battling or another guy battling with the starter, um, either kicker, punter, long, long snapper. But then you only got three, you got three specialists on a team during a season. You got a kicker, mm-hmm. a punter and a long snapper. And then during season injuries happen, you know, cause it is kicking is so violent against your body. So when injuries happen, you know, they, but the thing is, when those injuries happen, they get they get an old veteran. You know, they go pick up an old veteran and still have a new guy. So, you know, I've seen like my my coach right now, who I've been working with, not Nolan, somebody else, Vinny, who's under Nolan. He he finally he's like, I'm done. I'm I was with the Chargers for a little bit and didn't have it. I was with the Browns for a little bit, didn't have it. And then he worked out with the Raiders, and they finally like he just was just like, I can't. Like there's a there's a time when, especially with kicking, it's like 
if you don't get your name called, you can win camps. Like this long snapper I know won two of the Zauner camps, which is like your ticket to the NFL and still has not got a call back uh, for the NFL. And it's like you can win camps and you can beat guys out. But if your name is not like in the loop for kicking, you're not going to get picked up because they just keep cycling these kickers through, even if they're like relatively dog water. You know, it's like it's really hard unless you get drafted to be a kicker in the NFL. And I think baseball is a lot of the same way, you know, maybe – it's like if you don't get that call up to the big leagues maybe like earlier or if you're like not being like almost groomed to become like a guy, it's really hard to make that next step, you know? Yeah. How does that how does that work? Like 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 I just said, there's five or so levels of minor league baseball. Like that's why baseball will never the MLB will never run out of players. Like it's not possible. There's literally five teams fielded beneath the big leaguers. So like if anything ever happens, they could just pull somebody from their organization. Like mm-hmm. it's just like then the snap of finger, it's that easy. How does that work for football? Like if you're yeah, practice squad. Practice practice squad. squad. Yeah. Um, and then there's like countless so like there's training camp teams and those are large. Then the those get cut and there's practice squad and then those those the travel team. And then usually practice squad players make it or next. But like let's say kickers don't even have a practice squad kicker usually. It's usually just your guy, because like why? You're not gonna do you're not mm. gonna practice punts um with three different levels of teams, maybe three different levels of skill positions and stuff, but not the punter. Um so they usually some guy who's in training camp that they worked with and they like know relatively well, or maybe like, I'll give you an example. Nick Folk is like a 17 years veteran or something. They'll just sign him because they know the Patriots just did it. So it's usually practice squad guys for like all of the like positions, um, like linebacker D line O line. So when those guys get injured or COVID restrictions, they bring guys up from the practice squad. But yeah, dude, that's another. There's no farm leagues in football. Like they they try to do the XFL, and some guys get pulled up. PJ Washington, I think the backup on the Carolina Panthers, he was a XFL player. But very rarely, you know, do those or CFL happen. Um, it's usually practice squad guys who never really got a chance, and maybe they get a chance on special teams in um, preseason, and they show out, and then they make the practice squad or they make the a backup spot, basically. We're kind of like, like I said, I think the minor leaguers, I like the guys I know of, they've made like, like I said, there's like, they make nothing. They make zero money in the minor leagues. They get whatever their check is, 200 bucks a week. And like, as a grown man, like that's, it's not easy to live off of, especially if you got a family and whatnot. What kind of money like do these practice squad guys make? I would assume practice squad guys make decent money, like not good money, but I'm sure they make like thousands for a season be- yeah. just because like they're practicing all week. like they have to, I, I have no idea. I haven't really thought about that, but they got to make, I'm sure they make, if I had to guess anywhere from like 10,000 to 50,000 for a season, probably yeah. you are and stuff. But I mean, I could be just talking out of my ass. I have no idea because like you really think about it, like a small contract in the NFL is hundreds of thousands of dollars. Probably. Um, right, that's like league minimum. League minimum for baseball is five hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and that's in the major leagues. That's the league minimum. But then again, like the minor leaguers, there's no, there's like barely anything payroll for them. It's just your signing bonus, and then yeah. you don't make the big signing bonus. You're just living off of whatever they give you. Well, and you know, a lot of that is because it's you get paid off uh, viewership, and so if there's not a lot of people watching minor leagues, everyone's watching the major leagues. You can only get paid what 
they are allowed to pay you, you know, like, and that's, you know, one of the big arguments we're all having, like not we're not us specifically, but like the world is having is the WNBA or women's sports versus men's sports. Should they be paid more than $200,000 a, um, a season or should they be um, like you have that because of the right there, the viewership and, and, you know, the same thing with minor leagues, should they have a league minimum for a minor league to support families um, because they are grinding and they are playing a sport. They are professionals at some level, but it's almost like, where does, where, where do you get the money and how would you do that? You know? Yeah. It's like, I, I get, it's like, it's that, that WNBA and the women's national championships is, is an insanely touchy subject for, for people to, to dive into. But I know like for like minor leagues, like it's hard. Cause there's like, like you're literally like, like I said, a, a double A team, like you're, you're a step away. Like you're literally one phone call away from being in the big leagues. But like the difference in viewership is huge. Like nobody, you know, the world, the amount of people watching the world series is not similar to the minor league championship. Not even close. Not even close. Yeah. So like, that's, that's pretty interesting. That's, it's true to think about stuff like that. But, but then again, they are one phone call away from being on that team. So it's, it's hard. I'm sure I, I can understand how like viewership goes both ways. Well, what I think about is crazy too, is like, you know, creative endeavors, you know, artists, things like that. You could have the best musician in the world or the best artist in the world. And they are one like, exposure on twitter away from being rich i think about there's that like, all think, the time i think i think of that stuff too like there's so many people like that there's like i think there's so many people that you that you just know in your daily life that like and then you look at famous people sometimes too and you're like how like how's this guy how's this guy doing this how's this guy famous how's this guy this but like there's so many people who are just like one step away because then you know, it always comes up in conversation too. Like they're, you're like, Oh, you know, this guy. And he's like, Oh yeah. Like they went to my high school. They were just a random dude going from, from biology to P in second and third period. And then now like something happened that blew them up and now they're famous. Like, it's just, it's strange how that works. But no. And like what I've seen, like I talked to, I've talked to 50 countless people on this podcast now. And I talked to any, ranging from neurobiologists and neurovirologists to like professional boxers. And it's crazy to like, see, like hear people's stories, how they got to where they are and things like that. And like the, the neurovirologist, he's got a, I don't know, 30,000 followers on, um, on Instagram. And he was telling me that his life blew up because of COVID. He started doing like, people kept asking him questions because he studies viruses and how they affect neurons in the brain and everything like that. And so COVID comes along and he was like, yeah, this is the first time in my life. People thought what I did was important. And, and so people kept asking him questions. He's like, oh, maybe like other people like want to know these answers too. And he started doing like these little clips on Instagram of like answering questions and stuff. And his following blew up. And he was right. like, dude, dude, he's like, for a while there, I was feeling like, I can't remember what he said anywhere from a hundred to a thousand questions a day. And I was like, Holy. And he's like, yeah, he's like, my life blew up, but it's like, just like that. He does something that just involves an intellect and it involves, he's, he's getting his PhD. He's a fourth year PhD candidate. And now he's making probably money off of social media because of COVID. You know, it's, it's fascinating to think that you're, especially with social media, all these realms of life, they're like always one step away from success, like extreme wealth and success. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like that's what the hard part is like 
everybody is, I think most people like, yeah, there's, there's people who just aren't doing nothing. And like, it's, they just like, there's just some people like that. And it, it like sucks to see it. Cause like you always want people to be successful, but, but then again, like, there's so many people who are doing something who have that thing, you know, who that, that, that whatever it is. And they're just like, it's like I said, it's a Twitter, like you said, it's a Twitter video. It's like a couple thousand retweets from a following, you know, an interview, anything like that. And they, they become somebody. And, you know, to play off of that too, it's like some people, you know, who deserve it and deserve success might never get it. Um, yeah. So I think one of the fa- most famous people, painters of all time, Vincent Van Gogh, I, I'm pretty sure he wasn't successful when he was alive and he killed himself. I'm pretty sure. And like, but now he's like regarded as one of the greatest painters to ever live. And that's, that's the sad part is like what happens when some of these people never receive the the gratitude or the success they deserve while they're um, alive. But then afterwards, you know, they're embodied as like one of the greats. Yeah. It's like, I I can't think of them off the top of my head. I I know for, I'm a huge movie guy. I know for a fact that like I've watched a movie where like it's a documentary about some guy doing something or some woman doing something. And, and like he died before the movie came out, the documentary came out and like, he didn't get to see the finished product and then it blows up. Like, and people are like, I think it was like, and people were like, wow, like what they had no idea. They had no idea what this guy did was that important. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't get to see the kind of impact it has after somebody like read his story and was like, all right, like this is what, this is important. Like people need to know this. And then he like ends up passing before the movie comes out and doesn't get to see the impact that he actually made. You know, this doesn't have anything to do with that. It kind of does, but like how crazy is it that like the, the boom or the explosion that documentaries like popularity of documentaries has happened like on off Netflix alone. Like I know you watched the Jordan documentary. I'm sure you did. Um, Mm -hmm. or the, there's like the mind series is and there's like C I can't remember the other C spiracy. I know that was blowing up for a while. I've seen that. I haven't seen it, but like, I want to watch it. Me either. Or there's the social dilemma, but it, what it fascinated me. You can like, everybody is now watching documentaries and interested in learning. And that's one of the coolest things that I've, you know, one of the craziest things that I've seen, like just doing this, cause I just started this randomly and I started talking to people and some of my best episodes are either people who are super interesting and they have like a certain niche or people who are like teaching me something and people want to listen to that. And I'm like the, like the documentaries, podcasts, you know, I mean, obviously Joe Rogan's is just cool, but like the, like the almost like school, like um, podcasts and things like that, the experience, the expansion of people just wanting to learn and curiosity, especially with our generation, it, it fascinates me. And like, I think that's just going to keep getting more and more advanced. And I think, you know, I think when technology started or like the industrial revolution, people got a little bit dumber, but I think now that, you know, we're seeing like this interconnectedness, I think people are going to start getting smarter again because people are so curious about things. And we got all these documentaries, we got all these podcasts, we got Google, which is not always valid, but valid. I know you Google shit all the time. Like if you have a question, that's what I do. Um, and so I think that in the future, we're going to start getting smarter because of this connectedness. Do you agree? I definitely agree. I think like, I think, I think it definitely goes beyond like what people would assume, like how many people watch documentaries, because like 
like how like i like we were talking about earlier with the social media thing it takes one twitter blow up it takes you know people the amount of people scrolling through tiktok and twitter like at a same at the same time like every day it, it takes one you know famous person to be like i watched this documentary today that's nuts and then like every single person watching that video who has some sort of you know interest in that is going to be like dang like i need to watch that documentary and like people would and then they become fascinated with documentaries and they're just like over and over like finding different ones to watch learning different things because like it's pretty surprising like i've been watching like all these ones about like i watch disney plus a lot and they got this uh that the discovery channel thing on there and dude you go in there and it's like a it's like a i don't even it's like a library for like movies i guess but you just go on there and there's a documentary on like everything um one of the one of the reasons i started this podcast in in general was because i watched the can't remember is graham hancock or i'm blanking on his name there was an episode of the joe rogan experience where he had this guy on who is a wildlife expert and he was talking about like all these crazy animals and stuff and it was blowing my mind and i was watching all the clips and i was like dude i want to talk to someone like that and so i started like like once i started doing this i was like trying to find like i kept i keep on trying to find a wildlife expert so if anyone out there that's listening to this podcast right now knows a wildlife expert send them my info but back to my digression dude like i'm so curious and it's cool to see like people who are following me now who are so curious too and like they just want to learn and I think that's one of the coolest things about, um, like you were saying, documentaries is you can find anything that you're curious about now. It has a documentary or a YouTube video, at least maybe 30 to 40 minutes. And one of the craziest things that I've seen is how many documentaries on Netflix about Hitler alone there are. And like, you can see like people have these or serial killers. Another one, people have this fascination with evil, wicked, but also with like saving the oceans and like uh, sports are always a big one. So it's cool to see like whatever you're fascinated by and whatever you're interested with, you could always find something written about it. That's now video. Yeah. People, people definitely like underestimate, which, which is what off of what you're saying about there's like documentaries on everything there's there's experts in every category there's an ex like if there's think of anything you want to think of there is an expert who knows everything about that and like even the most boring things like i remember i was talking to like one of my friends about it he there was a trip he didn't want to go on or something like that and he was just like or like some kind of research thing and he was like i don't want to do that like sounds brutal but He's like, he's like, at first he was like, oh, there's like a bunch of nerds. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to hang out like with these people. And then like, he gets involved in it and he realized like, like it became like the most fun experience he's ever had because these people were so educated in that subject. Like these people are so like, they just make it a real thing. Like, like, so, like I said, like you could be thinking about plants, fish, anything, like anything in the world, like like you just look at it and you're like, Oh, that's a plant. Like that's a fish. But then like to somebody else who's an expert, like they're, they're dialed. They know everything about that single plant. And like, they know how it thrives in this like um, atmosphere, like everything you can even think of. And that's why I think having experts in every field you could possibly imagine is like another way to like explain this documentary thing is that people just know a lot of people know a lot about one thing. And then there's people like us who want to, hear what these people have to say about their one thing because it's interesting how how fascinated they are by it 
And that goes back to what we were talking about with sports earlier is that like every, these, these are all humans, you know, these are all people doing this, these experts in their one subject, because to an extent, all great athletes are experts in their field and experts in their mm-hmm. sports. That's all they really are. That's why some of the greatest, well, not necessarily some of the greatest coaches are experts um, as well, but you know, these are all humans and these are all like, we're fascinated that a human could know this much about plants or about um, Gatorade or, or something, you know, I don't know. It was a bad example. I just saw a bottle, but you know, it's that, it's that almost connectedness that like, I don't know enough about this, but I'm curious. And there's this person who does know a lot about this. So now I'm going to learn at least a little bit about what this person is an expert on. Yeah, definitely. Definitely in sports too. Like, especially if it's something you're already interested. Like I had um, one of my coaches for a few years was Greg Maddox. And he's like the, one of the greatest pitchers to ever live. And like, when you see somebody like that, somebody who's so like recognized nationally and globally because of what he did in the sport, like you, you could sit there and pick somebody like that. You could pick his brain all day long because like he's an expert. He has a reference to anything. He pitched against some of the greatest hitters to ever walk the earth. And like he, since he's so knowledgeable in this field, like, and it's a field I'm interested in baseball, obviously I'm like, you can sit there and be like, like, what was this like? How did, how did you do this? Or what adjustments did you make in this situation? And he could sit there because he knows everything from his 20 something years of experience. And he can just be like, yeah, this is what I did. This is how I felt. This is how you should feel. This is another way I would have approached this when I failed. Like they're just experts and they know what, what they need to do or what they could have done in the past, but they taking information from them, it can only benefit you. I wonder what the disparity of or the percentage of people who are like extremely successful is to like having mentors, you know, like I wonder how many of the most successful people in the world, whether it be sports, um, engineering, um, you know, investing, I wonder what the percentage of them was to having a mentor, someone who did it and failed and then succeeded because it, it keeps them, not keeps them from failing, but it keeps them from losing the game and becoming like a failure in that subject. And it, and it almost creates them to be a, like, like the best. Like I always think like Kobe to Jordan, like that's an imperfect example. Kobe literally took Michael Jordan's um, moves and like made it work for the 20th century or 21st century. Yeah. Right. I think, well, I think that especially sports is a big one. Sports is like anything ever. I think you can, you have to learn from other people. You have to see what they did, see when they failed and you can learn from their failures, learn from their successes. That's what it's hard because like, it's, it's easy to watch people's success stories, like people who have had success and be like, I could have done that. But like, you got to see what, when they failed, like their failures and try to not really try to prevent it, not ignore it, but like, understand what you can do to like to get back up as quick as they did to be successful but like with a a good good reference for baseball would be like let's say i'm batting fourth that inning and there's two lefties in front of me and i'm a left-handed hitter like obviously i'm going to see how this pitcher pitches to those left-handed hitters Mm -hmm. and if this pitcher throws 
some strikes them both out. I'm going to be like, all right, what did he use to strike out these left-handed hitters? Because now I'm coming up as a left-handed hitter. And like, if he's got something that's going to beat us, like I need to know about it. And like, or if these two guys like work deep counts and then all of a sudden, like they hit, they get a base hit, a double home run, whatever. Like I need to know what they did it on because like, if that's his most hittable pitch then I want to know that. Sure. Well, Jack, I think that's a good way to end it. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. This was, this was a lot of fun. Good yeah, man, I really appreciate it. I, I thank you a lot. It was cool. Yeah, dude. It's it's always fun to like, just chat with, especially people who are I I knew from high school or after, like just checking up on them in, in this kind of form because it's not really like just sitting there and like catching up, doing like, oh, how are you? You know, it's like an actual like a cool in depth conversation. But yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Episode 55 with Jack Wolf. Guys, remember, subscribe to me on your favorite streaming platform so you can stay up to date with the Call on Demand's Answer Show every time I drop a new episode. Stay tuned. There's a lot coming this next weekend and this week. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, stay demanding.